Hi, everyone. Welcome to the fourth episode of the Yes, You Can podcast. My name is Hannah Pratt, and I'm going to call myself the founder of this podcast. Last time I was trying to figure it out. Um, I'm clearly still trying to figure it out because we, it's been a, it's been a minute since I released anything and it's been a busy time to be honest. Um, it was Bella Let's Talk Day last week and I was running a pretty big event, uh, and a pretty personal event for Wheelhouse Cycle Club called Spinaway Stigma. And this is the second year that we've run it. This year, it was really, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of people helping, but it was definitely led by me. And honestly, these days kind of wipe me out. Like, they're so, so, so good and so positive, but there's just such a hyper-focused lens on mental health, and I sort of feel like sometimes I'm the poster child for talking about it. So naturally, everybody sort of reaching out to me on Bell Let's Talk, which is, is amazing, but it sort of, you, you feel depleted. And I think anybody who's either, you know, runs events or does charity work totally gets this. And if you don't, it's sort of like feeling like you're full of air and a balloon and you're a balloon and you just sort of slowly have it taken out of you. And at the end of the day, I got emotional for like one second, um, literally one second in my ride. <laughs> I think my voice kind of went like, you know, the crying voice that you make when you're trying to hold it together and you're kind of like, oh, oh. It went like that for one second and I, I pulled it together really, really quickly. As I said, and I think the last, the last episode, like if I wasn't healed from, as healed as I can be from my story, then I, I wouldn't be talking about it for sure. Um, but it still doesn't, it doesn't mean that I'm, I'm completely immune. And so of course a day that's fully surrounded and like focused on mental health, I'm going to be thinking about my mom. I'm going to be missing her. Um, I'm really going to be wishing that she could be seeing what I'm doing. And I said that in the last episode too. And, and so in, in my last post on Instagram and, and so it's like this, it's sort of like this climax for lack of better words that just keeps on going and going and going and then you just need to like of what I do when I feel that way, when I feel completely overwhelmed and, and like in the best possible way, even, yeah, even overwhelmed with gratitude and even overwhelmed with happiness, I need to just sort of be in a quiet space. And that's not normally how I come back up to normal. My dog is just like, I swear to God, this dog's like the sidekick of the podcast. You don't get to see every time he's recording, he's just like doing something new that he's never done before. Like right now he's looking <laughs> He's, he's licking this desktop computer in the corner and then he just turned his attention to me because he knew I was talking about him. Like he's trying to, he's, I think he, I think he's confused by me speaking aloud. So actually it's probably my fault. <laughs> it's probably my fault that I'm like, he thinks I'm going absolutely crazy and he's just like my therapy dog trying to, trying to heal me. Um, but yeah, so Bella's Talk Day definitely took a lot out of me and it was such a fantastic event. So I don't want to take anything away from that. I don't want anybody listening to feel, um, badly for me or to feel like I'm asking for sympathy or empathy. I'm just, this is just how it is for me. I tend to run myself ragged and kind of do all of the things and then feel like I don't have anything left for myself. And that's, I mean, my, I pay my, pay my therapist some money to help me deal with that. 
But I still, oh God, he's looking in a box now. Misto, chill out. Oh my gosh. So we're gonna be talking about anxiety today and this dog is full of anxiety. So it's actually kind of perfect that he's making himself known. Anybody's actually met my dog, uh, specifically Misto, one of the three, knows that he's just like this ball of nerves and he's always been this way. He's been this way since the minute I, I scooped him up and started fostering him. Obviously that went super well because he's he's been with me for five years. But he came from a reserve, uh, a First Nations community up north. And to be honest, he didn't have a great start in life. And so he's like my shadow. And he's kind of like, you know, I'm like a little bit of separation anxiety from me, from the house, from the other dogs. It's just it kind of goes on and on. But um, I do. I mean, if I make any move, he's he's right there. And certainly with dogs being really in tune to emotions, if if you guys who are listening have dogs or animals, you know that they can pick up on pretty much anything. They can pick up on people that they like, that they don't like. They can pick up on energies. And as a a big energetic person, he he's very in tune to all the feelings that I'm feeling. <laughs> at any given time and I felt bad for him and the other dogs because honestly they've had they've, they've been with me through a lot and and obviously seen some laughing and some crying happening to you so anyways back to the story we're talking about anxiety this was something that I feel like I kind of touched on a bit throughout the pre last few episodes but haven't really dived into specifically and I think that's how I'm going to be approaching the podcast from now on is is I could really go into any topic for um, at like a higher level and touch on little bits of it, like relationships. I could be talking about relationships generally, but I want to go into the specifics and try and save some segments for when I have guests who are experts in this area. And I'm going to be having guests, which I'm super, super excited about. So if you want to hear somebody in particular speak about a, a certain topic, let me know. Shoot me a, a message on Instagram, at Spin whatever it is, but anxiety is something that I didn't even really realize I had for most of my life. And I think that there's, there's a few different terms that, that I'm, I think can go into anxiety. I think we, first of all, when we talk about mental illness, people automatically just think about depression or anxiety. And I want to be clear that, that mental illness is a a whole spectrum of, of illnesses and ailments and feelings and, um, mental health is something you always have. It's sort of like, it's like your physical health. So it's, it's a neutral, it's a neutral assumption. So you, it's not that everybody has physical health. Everybody has mental health. I think people think they use the, it bothers me to be honest. <laughs> it's like, it gets on my, get, really gets my goat when people say, you know, like spin away like they were talk, talk, talking about spin away stigma they're like spin away mental health I'm like no 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 we all want mental health we all have mental health it's like a, it's a given we want positive mental health we want it we want to give that some sort of parameters and and like a value so positive or negative um it's sort of at zero naturally um well not naturally but like at it's at a neutral point is is the correct kind of value for the term so when we talk about mental illness we're talking about that mental health being in a negative space and that doesn't mean it has to be depression or anxiety. And those two aren't necessarily, they don't necessarily go hand in hand. You might not necessarily have both. You may be experiencing anxiety, generalized anxiety. You might be having anxiety as a result of a trauma that you are either aware of or not aware of. 
Um, there's anxiety conditions that are really, really specific. And so I'm going to be talking about sort of generalized anxiety and then also anxiety related to trauma. And I'm only going to be speaking from my own perspective. I think as much as I would love to be, t- <laughs> actually I wouldn't, I would not be loved to give, be giving out medical advice. I'd take that all back. Please put this as like as a caveat, as an asterisk for this whole episode and future episodes. I am not a doctor. I have no business telling anybody like what meds to take or, or how do you create a treatment plan, but I can talk from my own experience about what I've done, what's worked, um, and how I'm at a place where I can actually, you know, have a podcast that's surrounding positive mental health and, and try and share my stories. But I didn't realize I had a generalized anxiety my whole life. And I, I think, I think there's this like cynicism that goes around people talking about anxiety because I, there, you can feel anxious and not have an anxiety disorder or an, an issue with anxiety or diagnosed anxiety. You can just feel anxious in a situation and that's normal. We have fight or flight mechanisms where our body is trying to protect us. And, um, so when it's something really, really serious or we feel kind of unnerved by a situation or intuition, like barometers kind of going all wily, th- those are normal things. Like we're, we're at one point we didn't have iPhones and iPads and computers and, and all the things to protect us. And so our instincts are, are ones that are, have been ingrained as, as us since the beginning of time on how to survive. And so when you, when you feel danger, um, usually that's meant like for, from a survival perspective, but because people go through all different experiences, survival may be just mean like getting through the day. And so you can have, you can feel anxious and that doesn't necessarily mean you have an anxiety disorder. Um, Misto definitely has an anxiety disorder. He's like by my side right now, like just won't, he's just staring at me. Like if only a man, if only a man felt the same way. Actually, no, this man would be like a stalker. I couldn't deal with Misto as a man, um, or a woman for that, for that matter. Um, yeah, so I, I I did I've always had anxiety to a level I would say that's that should have been diagnosed as a child. It wasn't. It just wasn't something that was really talked about, normalized even. And growing up, like if you think back, I I've, I was talking to somebody recently about the elementary school I went to, and and thinking back now to the kids that I went to school with, how they definitely had. Um, they different learning abilities. And I would say that like trying to, to talk about ADHD, for instance, or whatever it was, and de- was definitely not recognized, diagnosed or supported by the, the school I went, I went to by teachers, by the community, by anybody. Like it just wasn't something that we talked about. So never mind um, anxiety. Like we didn't have like learning, uh, I would say different abilities talked about or how different people learn in different environments. Like none of that was discussed. He's just flapping his ears now. (laughs) Sorry, this dog is so ridiculous. He's trying so hard to get me to stop doing what I'm doing. I will not. It's taken me two weeks to get here. I'm trying to give the people what they want. Um, And just an apology for how long it's taken. It just, as I said, it was a, a, I needed to come back to normal. I needed to come back to like, to my neutral zone and I need to feel inspired because I don't want to be churning out crap that you guys, that doesn't benefit anybody. So I needed to uh, take some rest and do some hashtag self-care, which involved really not being self-care at all, but just taking a break from this. Um, so 
as I said, I, I wasn't ever diagnosed with it, but I had physical symptoms of, of feeling and, um, of having an anxiety disorder. And what I mean to say is that I would, and this is like not something I've really ever talked about, to be honest, is I would pick out my skin until I bled and would have this sort of repetitive, um, body focused behavior is what it's called, or also sometimes referred to as obsessive compulsive spectrum disorder, um, because it's sharing the features of OCD. So I would like pick my skin over and over again and, it was something that was so impulsive, but, but brought in by stressful situations. So I remember one sort of episode and it it always kind of be like the baseline of my hair or like my scalp. It wasn't, it's sort of like hidden places, but I remember I was so anxious and like around this, you know, performance, I said, would say anxiety. I sang in choir. I was the kid chosen for solos and we were at this uh, choir competition. And I remember not even realizing that I was doing this. And my mom, like, embarrassing me because she sort of drew attention to it and told me to stop doing it, like, in, in front of a row of, of, like, four kids beside me. And that was a shame episode, to quote Brene Brown, where all of a sudden it became this really shameful behavior. And I learned that feeling anxious and feeling worrying, like feeling worried to that level was, was a shameful thing and I should stop doing it. So then it almost perpetuates the anxiety about not feeling anxious and, and being able to control these emotions that that are pretty natural. But this, this sort of obsessive impulse control disorder would, could also be uh, manifesting itself in people who pull out their hair, for instance, if they like tug on their hair and need to pull it out. Or, um, I think biting the nails is is probably the most common manifestation that you would see. And, and if you think back to when you were a kid, biting your nails often was like, oh, you're just like a worried, worried kid or like a worry wart or whatever. But if it got worse and worse to the point where, you know, you were experiencing like tissue damage, for instance, and there's, I see this all the time in adults. I see this in, in men often that I'm friends with where it's like their, their nails are down to the nubs and they're just like biting the skin that that's not, that's not necessarily the sign of a healthy mental state. So when we're talking about positive or, or negative mental states, it's only coming out when something's super stressful, right? So, um, really the cure for this is the cure. Again, please do not take my medical advice, but cognitive behavioral therapy. So, um, speaking to a psychologist, speaking to a therapist about where this is originating from is, is really the course of action. So if, if you're listening to this and this either is, is bringing forward some sort of an epiphany for you, um, about something you might do, um, that would be something I would recommend. But to go back to sort of my story about this, I remember it was to the point where I was so embarrassed and so shameful about this habit I had formed, um, where I was particularly around my hair or on my scalp. I didn't want to be checked for lice as a kid. Like I, because obviously I didn't have, I, well, not obviously kids have lice all the time. <laughs> I didn't have lice though, but I didn't want the nurse to see any of these like wounds or like scabs or anything that I had sort of created on my own body. And I've always also had, you know, like 
pretty terrible skin, which is, was been shitty. And I'm going to do a whole episode on being confident and body confidence and all of that sort of stuff. But growing up, I had terrible skin basically from the time I was 12 or 13. So it sort of just offered another focus, um, for me in terms of where to direct my energy instead of creating like wounds out of nothing or like scabs out of nothing. I had something to focus my energy on. And, and I think that that's like mine was different than a lot of other people's who have bad skin or who experience breakouts or whatever. And it feels good to release a pimple. It feels good to put like, I'm not saying anything that anybody doesn't know or believe. Like if you were listening to this and like, with people and you're like, ew, no, like we all love doing it. Like, I don't care who you are. Like, unless you've never had a breakout in your life, God bless you. Um, it, it feels like a release. It feels like, like sort of releasing that pressure. And so, um, others I think feel more of a relief than others, especially if you have one of these sort of like OCD like behaviors. It was interesting though, because I never exhibited other signs of being that I would have recognized at the time or even up until recently that my behaviors being a, um, that any of my behaviors or who I was as a person were quote unquote type A. So when we say type A, often those behavior traits, behavioral traits, personality traits are related to, um, obsessive compulsive disorders and having this really high achieving sort of mentality where you feel like this compulsiveness to succeed. And I posted something on my story recently that I, I don't know if I've ever gotten that many DMS and responses from something that was like a reposted meme or reposted graphic, but it talks about high functioning anxiety and like what you see versus what they're experiencing. So what you see is the observer versus what they're experiencing is the person who's, who's, uh, who has high functioning anxiety. So what you see that person is detail oriented, what they're experiencing is that they're overthinking, outgoing versus people pleasing active versus inability to slow down. I feel that one, um, super helpful versus trouble saying no hardworking versus feel it, fear of failure performs well under pressure versus procrastinating or over planning and loyalty versus poor boundaries. And I sorry, I feel like I'm jumping a little bit all over the place, but, but when I'm talking about what I experienced as, as a young person, that was sort of the first manifestation about, of, of what I would say, of, you know, my anxiety disorder. And it, it followed me into high school. And while I was never, high achieving in the way of grades <laughs> until, until I got to university and grad school, I definitely was a high achiever in sports. And it got to the point where like I, I'd play a sport. I learned how to play it well. I'd master it. I'd get, you know, I'd level up. So I would remember playing softball in grade th- two or three and, you know, sucking at it the first season, like catch, no, nobody even explained the game to me, by the way. I just remember being put in like the right, like, like outfield and nobody explaining that the ball, if the ball came to me, I was supposed to throw it back. So I remember, I have this vivid memory of it rolling beside me and be, me sort of being like, Oh, that's, that's strange. And, and then everybody looking, turning, look at me, they're like, throw it. And, and then me cluing in on this, like, well, if somebody just told me this, like somebody just explained the game to me, like versus giving me this uniform and sticking me out here. Um, but as soon as I started playing it, then I got better. I 
you know, moved into shortstop, then first base, and then pitcher. And that's sort of like a metaphor for my life is I learn how to do something and then I feel like I need to master it. And it's, it's, that's saying that is just a fact. It's not, I'm not applying any value to it positively or negatively. Um, I think it's helped me a lot in, in achieving the goals I've achieved, but it also is sort of this compulsion that I keep talking about. And so I remember playing volleyball, for instance, I didn't make the grade eight volleyball team after practicing a ton and, and not really going out for a grade seven. And because I missed that year, I had to catch up and I, I just missed the boat. I just wasn't good enough. And then therefore I of course went to every single volleyball camp that summer and I entered high school and was the captain of the volleyball team in grade nine and so I went from not making the team not ever playing on a team to being the captain just from going to different camps and scrimmaging and and practicing and playing and like as much as I possibly could and volleyball is definitely a pressure-filled sport like I'm not throwing shade to any other sport and and when this comes you know when this episode is coming out there's we just lost a lot of amazing sports figures um, recently, and it's it feels like sort of you're being punched in the gut by by losing these people who have been these monuments your whole life. But um, I think that other sports, you can sort of carry people a little bit more easily or shield them from the spotlight. And with volleyball, it's like somebody can pick on you. They can, they can serve it directly to you or if you're serving and you miss a serve, like there's nobody else to blame. You've missed a serve. It's like, it's not even like a foul ball. It's not even an extra point. It's, it's just to get the thing going. And if you fail, you lose it. And I remember getting so anxious and so stressed before games that I would feel like I would be, I would, I'd start to gag. Like I would, I'd have this reflex where it, my whole body was like rejecting me being there and I couldn't, get over it and to the point where I it would it would happen it was happening closer and closer and closer to the point where when like when a game was starting and that even just waiting for that feeling to start coming on was making me more anxious and sort of perpetuating this like tornado of anxiety where I was just like shaking before a game and I do so so well in practice I would kill it I was such a high performer. I was the captain and I'd have these like physical, uh, like stress, anxiety attacks before, um, me still like sensing my anxiety, like standing on my chair, trying to get closer to me. Oh man. Does anybody want this dog? Just holler at me. Um, I'd have these anxiety attacks is I guess what I would call them. I like, it's not like I, I was hyperventilating, but I, I felt like I was going to throw up and I, and I wasn't, I didn't throw up, but I felt like I was going to. And, um, finally my, my mom took me to, and this wasn't something we talked about. Like we weren't like a therapy family necessarily. She had done some meditation, I remember, and like done yoga when we were kids, but, um, we weren't, I hadn't been to therapy even with, with sort of my, my manifestations of anxiety. And, um, she took me to a sports psychologist and I remember he did actually hypnosis with me and I feel like something about that whether it was placebo or not made me believe in my own ability to overcome this this thing that had grabbed a hold of me and I felt like I couldn't control it and anybody who has an anxiety disorder um, or experiences really high levels of anxiety knows that it's like this 
it's this feeling like the world is ending or like you are so fearful of a situation that it feels like what I was talking about earlier about surviving, like your body is telling you to run. And when you don't have an option of running, when you're forced into the situation, you almost have this, like, I would have this like sinking feeling, like the sinking pit in my stomach where my stomach would be flipping around. And then sure enough, um, I'd start gagging and feeling like I was, I was about to throw up, but I, I didn't. And seeing this hypno, uh, he was a, a sports psychologist, but he did hip, hypnotherapy. And I just felt like it, I had the best, I mean, I came out of that and I, I there was a session earlier in the day and I think we had a game at night and I had one of the best games of my life. And that was the start of visualization for me because because it was visualizing stepping on the court, it was visualizing all the things and, you know, bouncing a ball and serving it. And what intrigued me about that from that point forward was that we have this ability to to combat various elements of anxiety. And I'm not saying it's the only thing you can do, but we have the ability within our minds, they are that powerful that we can sort of make it or, or lose it, you know, succeed or fail. And I, I mean, I, I was blown away because I sort of felt like this whole thing was out of my control. And I, I, that was the most terrifying thing is that I didn't have any control over the situation. I couldn't, I couldn't stop it. Um, I had also social anxiety. I would get really, really red. Oh my gosh. It's so red and like blushy talking to anybody. Also like just again, to bring some humor to this, I was five fucking nine when I was 12. Okay. <laughs> so if you wonder why I was talking about sports so much, it's because I was played on every sports team. Cause that's all I, that's all I did. That's all I could do. Not all I could do, but like every coach was just salivating over me in my height. And I played basketball. I played volleyball. I played handball. I think I started the handball team. Actually, I think I petitioned to have a women's handball team. And then I think I quit to continue to play volleyball uh, club volleyball. Oh my God. Um, I, I did horseback riding. I played baseball. Like I just did everything. And so, you know, being five, nine and having terrible acne, like, when I was 12, 13, I guess wasn't the worst, um, but it certainly wasn't the best. Like, I think it's always funny when people, you know, the grass is always greener. We talked about being tall in one of the other, other episodes. And like, I think people think that I was some a supermodel when I was 14 and just super graceful. And I was like, had like a Mr. Burns posture and was just like <laughs> these like limp wrists and uh, like no booze and just no confidence and would blush and just terrible acne and I always wore this weird hat oh my god I can't I just had a flashback I just had a flashback to wearing the hat in grade eight and being told to take it off and it was like and then I like everybody looked at me because I was this new kid going to River Heights from from the north end the school I went to and like knew nobody man school's the worst no matter like no wonder we have anxiety issues but anyway um and yeah, and then it got better as I as my confidence grew. So it's it's this thing like once you do the thing and you succeed at it, then your confidence grows and this this sort of like loud voice of anxiety quiets itself a little bit. But still, it it, it can rear its head and it can do it really unexpectedly, or it can do it because there's triggers. And so it's sort of stepping out into the unknown and having to build this foundation for yourself. For me. Now, when I experience it, because I, I, I will, like I'll even before a ride, I'll, I'll for some reason, if I see somebody that I don't know, maybe intimidates me, or somebody I know outside of spin who's never been to a ride before, and they're telling me they're coming, and they haven't, you know, I'm just sort of like 
I, I'm not, I wasn't really necessarily prepared to expose this part of myself to them in this way. And I said, God, everything I sound, say sounds dirty. I wasn't prepared to like to share this part of myself. It still sounds a little bit, whatever. Anyways, I wasn't prepared for them to see me as a spin instructor when that's, that's not been my whole life. And I have a, I have a fairly high powered career. And so like balancing that has always been a bit tricky for me. Um, I've always been a bit of a chameleon and, and sometimes it's like you, you're like, Oh God, what are people going to think about me? And, and I still think that now, even at, at my age and, and, and with my level of confidence, which is probably higher than it should be, but, uh, here I am. And so I still feel this, these, like these anxiety triggers, just like anybody would. Um, but it's definitely calmed down quite a bit from, from where it was when I was a teenager or when I was playing volleyball, I ended up playing university volleyball and I definitely, I'm still nervous before every single game. And the only thing that would, would help me through that is, is thinking about all of my positive moments and visualizing those positive moments and kind of doing that self-hypnosis and meditation that, uh, the psychologist had gone through with me. But I think like in the moments that's, that's definitely easier said than done. And so I've actually in the last year since having experienced sort of this dip in my mental health, um, really as a result of, of what I talked about in the last episode that the, the, this breakup that really kind of threw me through a loop and, and felt like I had had the rug pulled out from under me. Um, and it, it, it triggered sort of all of my the the negative aspects of my mental health and and things in the past where I had been I had been associating a lot of things with with fear instead of motivation or confidence and so everything was I felt like I was in this constant state of of trying to run away this constant state of having that sinking feeling like things were not going to go my way and and the worst was going to come for me and all that sorts of stuff and so despite that, in spite that I'm, I did all these things. I, I started teaching rides at wheelhouse, which has been the most amazing experience. And so I was able to do that while going through a really, really hard time. And now I'm at the point where I, I don't want to be dealing with the, the situational anxiety where my body is almost trying to betray me on this constant basis. I'm trying to take control back more regularly by doing this visualization. Um, recently I started doing it in my rides or before my ride started and not just visualizing like success, but visualizing how I'm going to get there. I, I, I've started almost this manifestation and it sounds probably a little bit, I don't know, hocus pocus to some people, but I started reading this book called the universe has your back. And I think her name's Gabrielle Weiner, man, I'm the worst. I'm going to, I'm going to link, I'm going to link the proper author's name, but it's called the universe has your back and talks about manifestation and putting good energy and like the type of energy you put out there. And I, I, I fully believe in that. I also believe in good karma and, and putting good stuff out into the world. But she talks about, she's a motivational speaker and, and you know, a million other things, but she does speaking engagements. And that's always something that fascinated me because I have, I'll, I'll continue on my story of, of having anxiety, but I, I always had this crazy fear of being at a podium for some reason I could talk to media and do camera interviews. No problem. Uh, I mastered that pretty quickly in my career, but it, it, the thought of being at a podium absolutely petrified me. And so I was reading this book after the fact that I've already dealt with this, but I was so fascinated by her talk about, or a story she told in her book about 
going to a speech and having this visualization, doing this meditation before she, she spoke. And it wasn't a meditation. I think that would, I would normally think of to be a meditation, but it was this visualization of how she's going to walk on stage, how easily her words were going to flow, how in control of her breath she was going to be, what her body was going to feel like. And so you can call that whatever you want. You can call it visualization. You can call it meditation, but her talk was she wanted to feel as though she was growing wings and extending herself to the audience. And again, this can sound probably pretty hocus pocus to some of you, but I have heard, you know, fortune 500 companies, CEOs talk about doing the same thing. And I've listened to a lot of podcasts. I've read a lot of books and this seemed to be this constant thing that people were talking about in different ways. They were describing it a little bit differently, but basically the same thing. And it brought me back to this visualization I and uh, hypnosis I had done with this sports psychologist. And so a few rides ago, I would say maybe two weeks ago, I started doing this right before the rides. I would, I would get to the vault and I would, instead of like leaning in to the busyness, which is something I can definitely do where I'm like, I'm so busy. And like you commiserate with people over how busy you are. And it's almost like this competition of like how fucking busy you are. Um, oh, that's the first F word. That's the first F word. That's the first swear I think of this, this episode, which is shocking to say the least. But, um, I think we, 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 as people like to, you know, misery loves, loves company. And so we were always like talking about how busy we are. You don't hear people be like, I'm just so happy. And so am I, we're all just so happy. You, you, it's like you do the self-deprecating thing, but also you talk about how busy you are as if you're the only person to be experiencing that in the moment. And, uh, it's not true. So shocker. And we're all busy and, and sometimes you just don't need to talk about it. But I, I would, I am definitely a busy person and I would almost like get myself worked up before, um, if I'm my, my absolute trigger is rushing places. I fucking hate rush rushing places. I don't like backing my schedule up to the point where I have things upon things upon things. And so I tend to, I try and give like realistic timelines. That's a new 2020 goal. <laughs> so I'm saying I'm coming somewhere to some, like, am I going somewhere? I, I try and say like, realistically, I'll get there this at this time, because especially coming after teaching a class or teaching a ride or whatever, it's going to take me some time to shower and you want me showered. You do not want to hang out with me when I'm drenched in sweat. I mean, maybe you do maybe have some weird listeners out there. I don't know if I met you yet, but most people don't want me in that fashion. Um, so I like to have a 15 minute shower where I am just like progressively making the water hotter and hotter and hotter until I'm almost scalding. And that's when I'm ready to get out and missing that or feel like I'm like rushing places creates this level of like, just, I feel like I'm fretting and, and, you know, frantic and it would always set me up for failure. My Friday 5.30 rides, especially because I was running from work straight to wheelhouse work. I would always have this meeting that would just be booked and bumped until it was like, it was happening at like Friday at 3.30 and I knew that it was going to go late and that would cause me anxiety. So I wouldn't be really great in the meeting. And I'd always be thinking about the next thing and like, what can go wrong? And then I mean, it just was this whole thing, but I would start to like, I would start to create this situation before it even happened. Like it hadn't even happened yet. And so that's something that we tend to do with anxiety is we, something happens to us once and then we think that that's the automatic outcome and subconsciously or consciously or whatever, we, we 
we draw into the only other time that this has happened. We're like, what if this happens again? Or we think about our worst fears and we're like, what if this is going to happen this time too? And so, um, the way that I've been able to combat that is by visualizing a different outcome and saying, and like, it's, it's almost these affirmations, um, words of affirmation are my love language as a side note. I'm going to do an episode on that for sure. But these affirmations that no, it's going to be successful. My ride is going to be great. I'm going to get there. No matter what time I get there, it's going to be fantastic. I use the car time, my driving time, especially if I'm stuck in traffic to visualize getting there and what I'm going to do first. I'm going to take off my jacket. I'm going to remove my boots. And it's not so, it's like this like weird ritual. <laughs> like it's, it's so that I am, I'm seeing what's going to happen. And I'm prepared for it. And I'm therefore prepared for it. Even if something comes and sort of throws me off. So somebody wants to talk a lot before a ride. Sometimes that can be like throw you off your game because you have this like sort of you, if you have a ritual and you have to have it in a certain order, then anything that, that challenges that is going to make you feel like, okay, the whole thing is not going to go well now. So it's not that it's just visualizing the steps I need to take and the steps that I'm going to take so that my ride's successful. So now before every ride, I do this visualization. I'm like, the words are going to flow. I'm not going to stumble over my words because that's the most important thing to me as a motivator is getting my message out so that riders leave with more than a workout. They leave feeling amazing. They leave feeling powerful and strong and all and positive about the experience. And so my words have to guide that. If I was just any person going up there and telling you what to do, it just wouldn't be the same. It just wouldn't. Um, that's not what, that's not what spinning is about. That's not what our rides are about. That's not what wheelhouse is about. So my words have to flow through freely. I have to have enough energy, enough motivation to sort of come up with the things in the moment. I have to respond to the ride as it's happening. Um, I have to understand the needs of the riders. If the energy is really low, I have to feel like be able to bring it out of them. Like it's not easy. You guys to like, for those of you who ride with me when it's low energy, man, I feel it. I know. And if you see me acting like I don't notice it's I'm ignoring it and I'm, I'm trying to draw out a, a different kind of energy from you all. It's not that I don't see it or feel it. I feel it, but I'm not going to acknowledge and I'm not going to give it any more space than it deserves. So this visualization is I go through the ride and it takes me maybe one minute. I look at my scan, my playlist. I make sure that if I have any questions about what, you know, a drop or whatever, I'll, I'll play it two times. Then I won't even worry about it again because you can always change it in the middle of the ride. And then I jump up and down like four times. I, I mean, that'd be the only thing that'd be a little bit weird if somebody jumped in and like saw me just bopping around. Um, and sort of look at myself in the mirror, smile. And then I, in the same, almost in the same step of my jump, I, I run to the door, open the door and say, hello, five 30 or, you know, whatever. And I, I'm prepared for like, I think people think that we are, we think that people are going to be like cheering on the other end of the door. No, we don't. We know, we know you're going to be sitting there and we know you're going to be like coming off of a long day. But if we don't lead with that type of energy, you're not going to bring it either. So you don't see me sauntering out there. That's for, that's a reason. There's a reason for that. Um, and so I think I've, I've jumped a little bit, but I'm, I'm going to continue on like my anxiety train for sure. And so after playing college volleyball and, you know, dealing with social anxiety my whole life, especially this, like this really annoying manifestation of blushing, because I think it's sort of like this betrayal of, you know, I can control my voice. I can control mostly, um, I can control uh, lots of things, but I can't control 
my body sort of rebelling against me and showing that I am nervous or that I'm caught off guard or that I'm scared. And it's like this blood rushing to your face and you almost feel like it's, it's ringing your ears. And I probably should have done a little bit more research into this, but it's, it's kind of a mini panic attack where your heart starts to pound really, really fast and, and your blood is pumping through your body. And, um, I actually have really low blood pressure. So that's very strange to have all of this happen in one moment. And it's not that I don't have the intelligence or the wherewithal or the understanding of, of if we say, let's talk, somebody wanted me to talk about workplace anxiety. So I work in a very high pressure job. A lot of pr- people probably don't know this, but I have a leadership role, um, within a, a large organization in the city that's super, super well known. I am, I would say the youngest person in my role by a decade, at least maybe, yeah, about, about a decade, maybe a little bit more. And that is intimidating. And I've always had these types of jobs because I, I think I'm, and I'm, I'm proud to say that I'm good at what I do and I work really hard and I have good instincts. And I also really enjoy leadership roles because I feel like that's what I'm meant to do. I'm meant to be not a boss, but I'm meant to be a mentor. I'm meant to, to lead people and help them be the best versions of themselves. And that happens to take place in a work, in a work situation too. And so I've worked in these high pressure jobs for most of my life, either in communications or in leadership roles that deal with communication. So you were thinking like media relations, for instance, that's a pretty high pressured situation. But honestly, sometimes a meeting can be even worse. And when you're called upon or where you're challenged and you're put on the spot, what frustrated me about my physical, about like about my anxiety is that it's like, I knew the answer. I knew what I was trying to say, but my body was having this fucking ridiculous, and this is my own, you know, I'm, I'm being facetious, but this fucking ridiculous attack where I then couldn't articulate myself and people thought I was stupid. And I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who are feeling this right now because you probably have been, you know, maybe labeled as having even like a learning disability or a different ability and your life because you weren't, just calm enough and you were dealing with all these things like swirling around in your brain that prevented you from having a normal interaction and being able to articulate yourself. If we were all robots, like, and you just were like, you had no fear about the situation, of course you'd be able to do amazingly. And so they they talk about some CEOs who are like, who do really well in, in those jobs. And it's because they're like psychopaths. There's like a higher percentage of them that are, that are actual psycho or sociopaths. Um, because they, they just can see things very black and white and they don't really, they don't relate to emotions in the same way that, that we do. So, um, so yeah, one thing that I, have done. And I think there's a lot of questions also I've received about, so I had workplace anxiety and I also had questions about medication. And so I have been on medication before and I'm not on any medication right now that is like a consistent dose. I've tried anxiety, um, medication this past year. Actually, I was prescribed it for what I was going through and I was prescribed it when my mom passed away. And I think, I, I mean, that's, that's also a really a different event we're grieving too. And so it's hard. It's nothing's going to make you feel better. Like, I mean, I, that's, that's probably a broad, too, too broad of a statement, but there's very few things that are going to make you feel better and increasing your serotonin levels will only help so much is what I guess what I'm trying to say. 
more or less, because it's not that you're, you're experiencing depression, generalized depression. You're experiencing the loss of somebody and trying to figure out how to live again. So it's a little bit different, but I was prescribed. Um, I feel like I'm going to say the word of like a, of like a Viagra or something. I'm just going to Google this really quickly as we're sitting here. Okay. No, I was right. <laughs> Thankfully. Um, so I was prescribed Celexa for anxiety and it, to me, none of them have actually really helped me that much. And I have had almost this boomerang effect where the symptoms were worse than, uh, the symptoms of taking the medication were worse than the actual symptoms of what I was experiencing. And, and really what I found out that I was looking for was actually like a situational anxiety medication. And so I actually do have a prescription for something called, let me get this right. Um, and I had seen this and like I'd done like, it sounds like I've done, done my research. I'm like, but you know, you just, you take what you take when you know what, it, what works. But so propanol, propanol. And so it is a beta blocker and, um, it is something that really is for situ like one situation. It's not for something that you take over, over time and like every single day, but it is something that helps with my physical symptoms. So if you think about, did I pronounce it incorrectly? Propranol, <laughs> for fuck's sakes. Honestly, like just Google it. Beta blockers, propranol, whatever, how you say it. So it's a short-term relief of social anxiety. So it's, for me, it was really, and I wouldn't say social anxiety. I would say like work-related anxiety mostly. And also dealing with this podium situation that I'm going to get to in a second. But um, for me, it's again, this this physical manifestation of anxiety that really grinds my gears because again, it's not that I don't know the answer. It's not that I'm not articulate or intelligent or deserve to be where I am, but it is this thing that has plagued me my entire life. I've been blushing since I was five years old. I've had this generalized anxiety issue disorder, um, for that length of time. And this particular medication deals with stage fright and public speaking fears. And my doctor actually prescribed it to me in a way that on the bottle, it says like take one hour before public speaking. And what the, the reason I, I actually got a prescription for this was because I had been avoiding doing this podium speaking for my entire career. I always somehow managed to like sneak my way out of it and suggest that somebody else do, you know, the press conference, somebody else be the MC. And it was always, I think, towards the the end towards like the time I actually had to do this people were like you want this person to do it like it should really be you because as you progress in your career you get more successful and and you're going to be the person that people are going to look to depending on your industry maybe you never will experience this but there will be a time where you are ready to shine because of all the work you've done and the anxiety if you're experiencing anxiety will try and take that from you and I want to urge you not to let it and so this came to a head for me when I had, I talked about the Break the Silence on Violence Against Women program before. I ended up winning an award for it, actually two awards for it. And, uh, but prior to that, I had been asked by the province of Manitoba to speak with a, a player. So I was working for the Bombers, obviously. And I, I spoke at a, I was asked to speak at this, this morning breakfast for Women's Equality Week hosted by the Premier. 
and the audience was going to be, quote unquote, like all the big wigs in Winnipeg. <laughs> and I was like, oh, good. <laughs> That's great. That's so wonderful. We're getting the message out. And they're like, they're like, yeah, we, we want you to speak. And I was like, I'm so, what? sorry, what? And they're like, we want somebody from the Bombers to speak, but we want to make sure that it's you because you started the program and we want a player. And that's perfect because it's, it's, uh, equity, like equitable for genders. And they're like, this is great. They had all the rationale and there's no place for me to argue my way out of it. There's no weaseling out of this one. And I, all I could do was just think of like fucking this up and being so scared and having my voice shake and, and feeling that ringing in my ears and feeling like I was going to pass out. Cause I had, I'd spoken to even Cree-Com classes. I graduated from that program before and even for talking to students who really like the power dynamic was I was the person coming back to speak to them and they sort of were vying for jobs with me. I was still, I was, my body would still have this just, just because I was standing in front of them. And I think this probably plays in a lot of things that, you know, of not feeling good enough, of not feeling worthy enough of, of all these other things that you deal with. But, but um, again, it's just like physical symptoms. And I'm like, why am I, the more nervous I got, the more anxious I got, the, the worse it would get. And then again, the blushing, which for me is the worst, uh, would take place. And I just was like, I, you know what? I'm done with this. I'm done with this. I I'm taking this opportunity. It's like all of these presidents of companies are going to be there. The, all these like city councilors and MLAs and provincial MLAs and we're going to be there. And the minister of status of women wants me to do this. And I'm going to fucking step up and figure out how to do it. And I, it's, I'm not ashamed to say that I cannot do this on my own. And I've done all the work to ensure that I can. So I want you to let that sink in for a second. It is not a shameful thing to take medication for anxiety or for depression or for anything else. It is not a weakness. It doesn't mean that you're failing. It doesn't mean that you're not strong enough. It doesn't mean any of those things. And that was really hard for me to wrap my brain around because I've grown up in a, you know, as as talking about a a sort of achievers mentality and feeling like I had to soldier through things and not doing it alone also means like not doing something alone and like talking about mental health and mental, um, like negative mental health and, and mental illnesses means understanding that you're not alone and, and there's a reason that medication exists and there's people who don't believe in it and they don't believe in putting shit in their bodies and you know what good for them you can do whatever the fuck you want with your body i stand behind that 110 percent. if that means you want to get botox and fillers if that means you want to get tattoos if that means you want to look a certain way if that means you want to eat in a certain way it is your body i think there's i have a belief system of how people should live their life and that means being healthy that means not doing something because they're trying to please somebody else so not looking a certain way or dressing a certain way or anything like that. I think you should love yourself. But this was something that was eating me up inside and making me feel and not even make me feel, I knew that I was going to hold me back in my career. And this was a career I worked really fucking hard for. And so I went to my doctor and I was like, I've heard about beta blockers. I've done my research. Um, it's specific to this one thing. I don't want to be on medication long-term. I only want to be taking medication for when I need it. And it seems appropriate. And she agreed. (laughs) I had this whole speech like prepared, (laughs) which I was ready to get up on a podium to say if I needed to say it. And she 
she immediately wrote the prescription. She's like, yeah, no, like you're right. I'm sorry, Misto again is anxious. I'm just holding his face now. God, do you need some? He needs something. He needs some doggy CBD oil. We're gonna we're gonna investigate that. Um, but I I took it and. I tested it before. I think that's always something you should be doing um, is understanding that things, you know, you, you may not react well to a certain medication, but I, um, I, I took it like a day before and immediately I just felt, I just felt clear. I just felt like myself. I didn't have any weird symptoms. It was the type of medication that worked for me. And I think that's really important to understand. Like not every medication is working, going to work for you. And I'm not sitting here saying that you should go out and try this particular one. As I said, I had, I've tried, you know, anti-anxiety medication that's like more longer term and it didn't, it didn't really jive with my, I just didn't like the way I felt on it. I gave it some time. I didn't feel like myself and I need, I need something personally for more situational because I have, um, I've done enough work on with my psychologist and I'm sort of in like a plan, I would say to manage this overall. It's these situational things that, and honestly now I, I might not even take like, I, I take them more and more rarely. Like I, it's maybe once a month, if that, and that's only when I'm really in a high season of, of having to do like speeches and presentations and things like that. More often than not, I'm doing these things without any, any sort of medic, um, medical help. And by that, I mean medication. So it's, that was a really big turning point for me because not only did I do something successfully, but then I realized that I could do it because I think within the fear system that I had built up was that this was thing was so, so scary and I was going to have this physical thing, but then I also wasn't sure if I could actually do it. Once I realized I could actually do it, then I was able to wean myself off further and further to the point where I was just talking about, where now I, I know that, that I have control over this. And that as what I started this episode talking about is that I, had the power to somehow quell this and like calm the noise down and be like, you're just imagining this. Like, this is not real. This fear that you feel is not real. And one thing I wanted to address before I, you know, keep talking about myself is that there's often anxiety happens because we're thinking of a few things. We're thinking of the worst possible case scenario. We're also projecting our fears onto other people and wondering what they think about us and thinking that they're thinking about us in the worst possible way. We're often um, assigning either two possible outcomes. So either it's going to be amazing or it's going to be horrible and we we don't give any room for anything in between. Um, And if you aren't at a point where you need medication, but you feel like maybe you're starting to feel really anxious and especially like work situations, for instance, something that I heard somewhere was like, try to solve a complicated math problem in your head. Try to do the visualization I just talked about. <laughs> He's flapping his ears again. It's like Dumbo. You still are you Dumbo? Um, so try and, and actually think about a different situation altogether and kind of remove yourself from, from where you are. Um, I had... I, I also had a friend tell me kind of, they have their, their affirmations, which I won't repeat because I think they're pretty private, but, but that you're, that you're not actually your body. You're not actually your mind. You're just a person sort of like witnessing this situation. Something that I also found really, really helpful through all of my grief and, and mental health journey, whatever you want to call it is, uh, that moment is temporary. So I would also focus on like the moment that I would be leaving or the moment I would be at home and sort of like focusing on 
thinking of myself sitting at home and eating dinner and, and like being like being at the end of this really stressful day, I visualize myself doing that too. Um, those are certain things, or even just like thinking about a song in your head. This was something I did when I was playing volleyball a lot is I would, <laughs> I think it was a 50, 50 cent song. Literally I've been the same person my whole life. I don't like, I didn't start liking nineties hip hop, like to be cool. Like I've always loved nineties thousands hip hop. And I also grew up in this era. So there you go. But I, I think I had a, I think it was, I get money or, or some, some song that I've played recently in spin. And I would like go back to the, the back line in, in volleyball and like bounce the ball thinking like playing those rap lyrics in my head. So I wasn't thinking about the people in the crowd. I was like hearing the song in my ears almost. And just that sort of, that sort of thing that I would do, which would snap me out of it. So you have to do some work. I can't give you a magic, anything, even this medication I'm talking about that's worked for me won't necessarily just work for you. You have to figure out what will you just have to. And so, but, but if there's any message I can convey to you through this episode is that something will, if you haven't found it yet, that doesn't mean that it's not out there. There might be a combination of things. There might be trying hypnosis. There might be trying to talk to your therapist about this specific issue and how to like address it like workplace related anxiety or graduating from school anxiety or living on your own or, you know, even, even if it's a feeling of dread that you always have, which is something that a friend of mine spoke to me about, it's like this feeling of dread and where is that coming from? Um, somebody asked me, what steps can you take to feel more like yourself after an anxiety attack? And so I haven't experienced an anxiety attack in a long time. But often it's, it's finding things that ground me at the end of my ride. I talk, I, I make everybody, <laughs> I make everybody reach down and, and touch the ground. And I say like, feel, press your f- fingers into the ground and something that works for me when I'm feeling really, really anxious and overwhelmed. And, and often that's coupled with a feeling emotional. So I know that it's coming from somewhere. It's ca- coming from a place of, of sadness, um, which I haven't really felt in a while, but I put my hand to my heart and I just breathe deeply in and out, like slowly like that, four counts in, four counts out. And sometimes I'll actually ground myself. So I'll, when you feel overwhelmed by anxiety, it also often feels like a bit of vertigo. You almost feel dizzy. That could be a potential symptom. And so pressing one hand into the ground, pressing one hand into your heart, um, for me, it makes me feel a lot more like myself being around my dogs definitely makes me feel like myself, even though Misto has been so fucking annoying tonight. He's so cute, but God damn it. <laughs> God damn. Is he annoying? Um, but the, like, so being around my dogs is, is definitely like an anchor for me. So finding that thing that anchors you is something that I, I completely, I, I, I advocate for also listening to music is something that makes me feel anchored. Um, uh, somebody asked at what point did your life, did you feel like what that feeling was? And I, so I, I didn't realize again, I did, I said this earlier, but I didn't realize that what I was feeling was, was actual serious anxiety. What do I do in the moment to help calm down? So now we're into the questions. If you don't, if you can tell us coming to reading these off in the moment. So again, those, those feelings of grounding, um, trying to, to breathe deeply, trying to, um, remove yourself from the situation if it's possible. Um, and a lot of people say, are asking about 
about work. And so something that I also do is I need to physically remove myself from my office. And it's, it's, it's actually been something that I've had to deal with. I think other people may be creating assumptions about me that I don't want to spend time with my work colleagues. Um, obviously depending on the office I've had, I've been closer to certain people in my office, one of my best friends, even though I don't see her very often anymore. There's certain offices where I've been more social than others because I, it's just a different type of work environment. And, and I've had more friends there, but often I won't, I'll either sit at my desk and work through my lunch or I will literally leave the building. And the latter is better for me. I need to leave the building. I need to reset. And for me, resetting means listening to loud music. And so I often will get in my car and even if I'm not going to get food from somewhere, even if I'm just taking a drive, I need to like blast this loud music and, and in a, in a space that's different from where I was just sitting. I have an office job, so I'm often writing for long periods of time and I have a lot of people in and out and I have a lot of meetings. And even though I'm an extrovert and I come back to normal by talking to people and, and, uh, meeting them, I also need to be away from this situation to be able to calm down. And so that's also, and relates to like, if I'm really frustrated, not just feeling anxious, but I need to get out of my situation. So often I take my lunches out of the office and I honestly don't give a fuck. Like I, I love my colleagues. I have a great workplace, a great organization. And I think if I ever had this conversation with anybody, if they ever asked me why I don't eat in the lunchroom, I'd be happy to have this conversation with them and, and explain exactly why. Um, but it's something that I, I remember dealing with at a workplace a few years ago when I was a bit younger and they're like, come eat with us. I'm like, I just spent all day with you. Like I, I need to go and do something else. And this was also the workplace I was, I was working at the U of M, uh, but in a different, uh, at the Bannatine campus. And, and I, it was having lunch with my mom every day and they didn't know that. And I just didn't want to articulate that. So don't be afraid. I, this would be something I would say related to anxiety and everything else. Don't be afraid of what other people think about you. If you have a coping mechanism, that's going to help you. That's a healthy one. Don't be afraid of what people think about it. So if you need to like, and if this is a workplace related anxiety, feel free to speak to your supervisor. There's going to be few supervisors who could get away with discriminating against you, if there was something that was like legitimate that didn't impede your job or ability to do it, um, if you say I need, I need to take I need to get out of this space for like ten minutes, or I need to um, adjust my hours on this day or something, it's it's usually going to work. There's a lot of supports. There's a lot of unions, um, a lot of things out there that support people who work in the workplace, and there's going to be somebody who's going to listen to you and help you. Um, what else do we have here? <laughs> men, Hannah, men. Well, <laughs> this that was my favorite response to this sticker question I asked. Um, and then a lot of this like random people trying to get at me. Um, yeah, there's one that was how to not let it ruin exciting moments. And that honestly felt so hard for that because anxiety has ruined a lot of exciting moments for me. It has, and it sucks. And so for, for I'm at a place now where I have a plan and I really hope and urge you to try and figure out what that is for you because, um, it might be medication support. It might be talking to a therapist, might be understanding where this is originating from, where that shame spiral is coming in and, and what's creating this, uh, catalytic event for you. Um, I have one that's about breakups. Oh man. That one is so tough because 
anxiety related to breakups is so much different than um, what I've been talking about. And I, I think it's almost more trauma and I haven't really touched on that. And I don't, I don't know that I will, but I, well, we're at 103. I might, I might touch on it. So the, the trauma related anxiety that I've experienced is definitely with my mom. I spoke about this in episode one, I think about some post-traumatic stress that I've experienced as a result of uh, seeing her pass away and, and being in a hospital. And um, I, I think there's a difference in my brain. Um, I should probably speak to a doctor about this, but, or like a psychologist about this, but there's a difference between anxiety and, um, like post-traumatic stress. I, there's a def- definite difference, but, um, there's also like panic in there. And so I had a trigger for sure about being around this particular hospital and it almost like uh, my throat almost caught just now thinking of that girl who was afraid to go near this hospital because it meant seeing um all the horrible situations that I'm if I'm getting choked up now it's it's not even about the situation it's about like that person that version of me um that I just want to go back and hug so so fucking badly but I I, I just said that I worked at the Bannatine campus. And so I used to, I actually had to remove myself from that job. I, I said this in one of the previous episodes, but I, I, after seeing my mom so frequently where I worked, when I would go down for lunch and I was just talking about leaving my office place, like workplace for lunch and the elevator's doors would open. And I was so used to seeing her waiting there and she wasn't waiting there. It was like this punch in my gut every single time. And I think this moved beyond anxiety, but it got to the point where I'd walk in the doors in the morning and just feeling this feeling of dread. And I, everywhere I looked, I saw her. So again, this is very different than what normal, like, you know, you'd be experiencing every day. But I think in terms of break a breakup, there's a level of grief there that I think we need to acknowledge. Also, again, being around that hospital, I had to go for an MRI or something, the hospital that she was at and, um, where she died. And, oh, that was like, feeling like walking, having these triggers of, of senses of our smells of sounds, um, of seeing people in lab coats that look like my mom or seeing like, there's a lot of vivid memories that I had sort of locked away behind this door and being in that space again, really threw me back into it and caused this sort of anxiety spiral. And I don't think any of the things I'm talking about would have necessarily helped except for maybe visualization a little bit, but I wasn't prepared for it. And I really felt like I was like racing down a tunnel to get to the other side and just like avoid these places. And it wasn't until I did some work with my psychologist on, um, I can't even remember what she called it, but we sort of like did, we had to go through that day and really go like move through it and like unlock this door where all these memories had been sitting behind because they were getting to the point where they were going to burst out and I was having nightmares and things like that. And it was getting really, really bad. So I think grief to, a. uh, an extent is you could equate it to a breakup and not realizing the breakup is going to be the end of the world is something I had to definitely do this past year. Um, and so one thing I've done with, with all of my breakups actually, and I, it's been really, really empowering for me. So I'm smiling now, but is take back those places, take back those songs that meant something about this person to you. There's the more we avoid something, the more power we are giving it. So even with relation to this hospital, I feel like I'm, I'm at a point where I could walk in there now, um, and be fine. There's enough time that's passed. I've just, 
it's just different through all the work I've done and talking about those fears and like actually acknowledging their presence. It's kind of like looking underneath the bed and realizing there's no monster there or it's, you know, it's, it's a cat or something like that. <laughs> but I, um, yeah, I, there's, I was supposed to get married in, in Maui. I, I spoke about this before and I, uh, went there on a vacation with my friend and was like, fuck it. I'm not, I'm not going to be afraid of this place or have this place have any more power. That's like a negative over me. I'm going to take it back. It's going to be my place. Um, I did that this past year. I took a road trip to Montana, which was like one of the best experiences of my life. I did this on my own. Um, I was actually just to be full, fully just like for full disclosure, I was kind of on the tail end of a really rough patch in the summer. And it, I was, I had been prescribed, um, anti-anxiety, the, uh, another round to see if it would work. And so I was like, you know what, I'm going to do a road trip and just see how it goes and, and kind of start the medication around that. And I told everybody what was happening and I think it was a really good time. Like it, at the end, it wasn't, the anxiety wasn't something I, or anxiety, anxiety wasn't something I wanted. The medication wasn't something I wanted to continue with because I had sort of a moment of clarity in the fall that was, I'll probably talk about at some point, but I'm going to keep it a secret for now. Um, and it changed everything for me. And I just realized I was like, I, the, again, the, this, this medication isn't really what I need, but I went to Montana and I had gone on a trip with my ex to, uh, Montana for a wedding for one of his friends. And, I, it was a place that meant a lot to me regarding this person, but it was also a place that I loved like so wholeheartedly and wanted to go back to. And it's like, you know what? I'm going to, I didn't, we didn't do this road trip long enough or this trip before long enough in the mountains. And I've been wanting to take this trip with one of my dogs. I've had this vision of taking my dogs to the mountains because they've only known prairies as, as, as annoying as me. So it's been tonight. <laughs> He's like, honestly, the sweetest dog. They're all so sweet. And Callie, who's been my absolute OG original gangster, she's been with me through all these breakups, through all this loss. She's almost 10 years old. I'm celebrating her birthday in a few weeks. Like, I could cry. I just love this fucking dog so much. She's honestly, she's like everything to me. And so I took her to Montana and I was like, I'm, I'm reclaiming these places. I'm reclaiming this song, for instance, if I were to play a song that meant something to me. I'm reclaiming these smells and... You know, there's, <clears throat> there might be something that reminds you of your partner or your ex-partner, like a lotion or, um, uh, like a cologne or something. However, you need to socialize yourself to encounter that and not associate it with that person, the less triggers you're going to have to be worrying about. So I know that it's really, really hard to not avoid these places and your body kind of wants to run and recoil from them. I know for me, like seeing the car somebody drove, this is like for all of my relationships, even when I was having issues with my family and I saw the, the cars they drove or my, my dad drove and I wasn't, you know, we're in, we're in such a positive place now, but at the time I was, I was nervous. That, Winnipeg's a small place, but I was like nervous about running into them. Um, I would like, I feel like my heart would just sink into my stomach and I'd see it. And it was like, I was always dodging these like mind feel, this mind feel like these, like these bombs. I was just waiting to go off. And so confronting your fears, although it sounds so cliche is something that I, I highly recommend you do because whether, whether it's a trigger for your anxiety, a trigger for post-traumatic stress, a trigger from your breakup or from grief, 
Um, and the, these things are, are only going to get bigger. The, the more you pay attention to them and even by paying attention to them, meaning like, you know, avoiding them, the more power you're giving them, the bigger they're going to grow in your mind, the bigger they're going to feel when you actually are confronted with them. Um, yeah. And it might be, it might be trying to visualize actually running into them and like what you would say if you, if it's, if it's an ex situation, um, or, or whatever, if you've broken up with somebody and you don't have that closure we talked about in the, in the last episode, um, what you would say or what you would do, all of those sorts of things are, are really important to, to try it and, um, reference in your mind and visualize, I think is going to be my sort of like my message of today's episode as a way of coping and as a way of overcoming those fears that are trying to trigger you into an anxiety spiral. I can really only speak from my own experience. And I, I, again, like I've, I've kind of taken you on this weird, like loop de loop journey of all the things that I have to say about anxiety from the point of, of a perspective of somebody who's experienced it, um, previously being labeled as like a worry wart or a kid who just worried a lot when in all actuality, I was experiencing something much deeper, um, to the point of adulthood and, and dealing in relationships. And again, I feel like this time has just flown the fuck by, but if there's one thing I can give you as, as a, something that's really, really helped me in the last little bit is by sitting and trying to manifest the outcome that you wish to happen. And when we're in this state of, of hyper anxiety and hyper, like, you know, everything we're firing on all cylinders and we just feel like we can't control it, closing your eyes and breathing deeply and actually seeing the outcome that you want happen in your brain and creating these affirmations in your mind about all the things that are going to happen in order to get, to get uh, you to a successful outcome have has made such a difference in my life. And it requires you to self-reflect. It really requires you to look at yourself and understand how you're feeding into your fears and maybe making them grow because that's the only thing you know how to do. It's your reflex. It's what you are accustomed to doing. You're accustomed to being in this anxiety spiral. So stopping it isn't going to be something that might necessarily happen right away for you. But by taking these little steps and trying to, um, like put a pause in the moment and see a different outcome for yourself, I know that it's going to happen. I'm going to stop it there. I hope that this has really helped with anxiety, talking about medication, talking about relationships, talking about grief, talking about different uh, ways anxiety can manifest itself in your body. If you have anything you want me to talk about specifically as it relates to anxiety, depression, um, mental illness, mental health, relationships, whatever it is, shoot me a DM. I'm at Hannah Rose Spin on Instagram, and I look forward to hearing from you. The last thing I'll say is yes, you can. Have an amazing week, everybody.